0: Well, this is the last in our series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, the journey. I have uh, learned so much myself about this incredible gift to us, the Holy Spirit. And uh, this morning we are going to look at the last in the series, and it'll be on spiritual gifts. Next week, we will begin a new series, and uh, it will be entitled, How Then Shall We Live? It is uh, wisdom from James for Christians in distressed times. Go through that book together. Um, I'm looking forward to that series as well. Gifts of the Spirit, let me just say a few things about that as we prepare to get into our text. Um, Sadly, when we talk about gifts of the Spirit, it has been so dominated by a few gifts that we've forgotten about all the other gifts that are there for us, and so this morning I will be doing sort of a drone view, an overview of the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we could take, uh, I'm sure, a whole series to look at the individual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. But this morning, it is sort of a flyover. And I think that's important because I want to emphasize that as we are going through various texts this morning, you will find in your worship folder an outline that hopefully you can follow. that will help you. The text will be on the left. But I urge you to use your own Bible. And... uh, I want you to have this in mind as we're going through our text. What spiritual gift do I have? This is a sermon that you apply to your life. And let me say this right up front, that the discovery of your spiritual gift will make a radical difference in the way you serve Christ it'll make a radical difference on how you see yourself as part of the body of Christ. We've talked a lot about God's grace in our series. And I think grace is a wonderful word, a wonderful idea, a wonderful truth. I like to sing of God's grace and I also have to constantly pray For God's grace. And the word grace has deep biblical significance and uh, several applications. God's grace is often associated with His sovereign work by which He saves spiritually dead sinners. We call that sovereign grace at times. It can also refer to God's all. Sufficient, sustaining power that sustains uh, Christians during their times of adversity. Paul ex- learned about that when the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. Grace is also a word that connotates and encourages rejoicing. And I do think that idea of rejoicing fits into understanding sovereign grace. It fits in as well as we think of his power that makes avail- he's made available to us going through difficult times, there's reason to rejoice. And then there are spiritual capacities called gifts, gifts of the Spirit, that are also referred to as graces. Matter of fact, graces is another word for gift. These graces are given by the Holy Spirit to every believer. Every believer. And that's what we're going to examine together this morning. Spiritual gifts. Before we get into the gifts themselves, I think some biblical analogies of the church would help us to see our connectedness to each other. Our relationship to one another. To understand where life comes in the life of every believer but in the church. Well... The church is likened to branches, branches on the vine. In that analogy that Jesus gave to us, the Father is the vine dresser. Uh, The Son is the true vine. The church are the branches. And the Holy Spirit is the one who flows through the branches to produce fruit on the vine. The church is also compared to a living temple, and we as stones on the temple. The Father is the builder of the temple. Christ is referred to as the cornerstone of the temple. And we also see that every believer is a part of this wonderful relationship we have as the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit lives in that temple to empower us. And that is where living sacrifices are made to the Lord. And then the church is called the body of Christ. You see, the Father sent his Son to become incarnate, to take on human form, to die for the elect. And uh, Christ is the head of the bodies. And every believer is a gifted and functioning part of the body of Christ, the church. However, the church is in many ways like a body. It's unified, yet it's diverse. The body is diversified by nationalities, languages, callings, and gifts. However, the church with its diversity is also unified. The Bible says that we are unified with one hope, one baptism, and one love for Christ. So our diversity is our strength, and our unity promotes health and growth. Now, in Ephesians 4, and if you have your Bibles, turn there, or you can see the text on the left side of your worship folder. We're going to look first at gifts, gifts of the spirit, graces of the spirit that are given to equip the body of Christ, the members of the church. In Ephesians 4:11 it says, "And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers." To equip the saints for the work of ministry. It is a profound idea. It's a profound way to see the church. God has gifted the church with leaders. And leaders are called and gifted. And they're gifted and called to do one predominant thing. And you know what it is? Equip. Equip means to Mend to complete or to set right the saints, the church. It was used, this word equip was used of fishermen who mended their nets to make them whole again. It was used of outfitters supplying what was needed for the soldiers before they go into battle. And it was used of doctors to set or reset, to set right broken bones. And that, in an essence, is what leaders are to do. They are called to set believers in their proper place, their place of giftedness. They are there to help outfit, to supply what's needed For battle. For service. And they are there to help mend broken lives. That's what pastors. Teachers. And elders. Are called to do. Equip. Empower. And restore the saints. So that they. Can fulfill their God ordained purpose. Now we talked. At the very beginning here. About grace. There are gifts. That are called grace. If you would. Graces given to us. So graces grace are expression. Of. God's grace. The word for gifts. Or graces. Comes from a Greek word. charismai And uh, you may recognize that word. As similar to our English word charisma so this word means a compelling spirit driven believer with divinely conferred capacities to serve Christ and his church put most simply these graces are gifts given to each one of us so that you can fulfill your divine purpose now These gifts are distributed to every believer by the will of the Holy Spirit and not by the will of men. It's a gift of the Spirit and it will be by His will that you are gifted. So what gift you have here is a will. It was willed by God. Not by the will of any other person. And uh, These gifts are not the same thing as receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit is receiving the person of the Spirit at the moment every believer comes to faith. When you came to faith, you received fully the gift of the Holy Spirit. You received that the moment you were born again. You received Him. Spiritual gifts, however, are also given at the moment of new birth, but to empower every believer to fulfill their divine, God-ordained purpose. So what am I saying here? Each of us have a gift, or more, that fits into God's divine purpose and plan for each one of us. So you have a purpose. And God has a plan. These gifts may come as one predominant gift in your life. To be known by the one that's most dominant in your life. But often there is a cluster of gifts around it that support it. Like you could be called to be a pastor with a gift with teacher and administration. But that could be also come in different forms as well. Uh, A teacher who has wisdom and knowledge, as we'll talk about. So that we each have, I believe, one predominant gift, but you may have a cluster of gifts that follow along as well. Peter talks about these gifts. He says, as each has received a gift, use it use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles or words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, spiritual gifts and natural talents are similar, and yet there's differences. Natural talents are abilities and skills inherited at birth. Spiritual gifts are unique spiritual capacities inherited at the time of the new birth. But to try to make a difference or a distinction between talents and gifts, I think is difficult and problematic. Perhaps even unnecessary, since God is the author and creator of both. Spiritual gifts are a gift to us to use, as was said by Peter. Not just to talk about, but to use. <clears throat> Excuse me. And gifts are given to joyfully. Remember the word grace also relates to joy or um, delight. Gifts are given to joyfully serve God's holy purposes. So spiritual gifts were ordained and prepared for every believer. Now this is going to blow your mind. Before the creation of the world. Remember I said, you have a purpose, God has a plan. The gifts are are part of his plan and you're part of that plan and he has so gifted you to fulfill your divine purpose that he ordained before the foundation of the world. How does that make you feel? Makes us feel like we do have a plan. Or we do have a purpose here. And God wants to use us for his purposes. We read in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. The good works that he refers to. Are the good works that come from the good gifts that he's given to us for the good of others. Spiritual gifts will remain until the day of Christ Jesus. There are scriptures we could put, it was just too much to cover in our short time. The idea is that God's plan was to gift us until the end of time. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good, And not for personal glorification or edification. If you have a public gift, it's not for your glory. If you have a behind-the-scenes gift, it's also for God's glory. Spiritual gifts are to be desired for the service of the Lord. The scripture says, desire these gifts. I will say this. That you may have a spiritual gift that's known to you, you've used it for years, you recognize it, and others do. But in a time of change and a time of need, God can equip us to do whatever needs to be done. So we say, I have a spiritual gift, that's great. Do I have a cluster of gifts? That's wonderful. But if there is a need that arises, the Holy Spirit's able to say, and I will empower you to do that as well. So don't think of this as something that uh, limits God. It doesn't. I've heard people say, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do that ministry because that's not my gift. And I think that's wise to consider that. But sometimes where there is an urgent need, be willing to be used of God. Not stuck in a formula. Not stuck in a format, but just being available. And spiritual gifts should be actively practiced, stirred up for God's glory. If you have a gift and have not been using your gift, the scriptures would say, begin to use them. There's a reason, because you have a purpose. And God has a purpose for your gifts. And we are in need of. Of these gifts to be manifested, to be used in the context of the church. Now Paul, as we saw, lists for us five equipping gifts. These gifts are to equip the church to do the work of ministry. And I'll say this from the outset again. When the elders and the pastor of a church... Are doing the work of ministry, they're neglecting the joy that the church people need to have in serving Christ. So, where possible, the elders need to find gifted people to do the work of ministry. God did not intend the church to be a spectator sport, it was intended to be a team, a family, a branch a vine, a living temple. So if you have a gift, begin to use it. I'll say it now, I'll say it later. You know what? We need you. If there was ever a time this church needed the gifts of the Spirit for the glory of God, it is now. Every time I come to the office, I try to make a list of who's there, who's not there. <laughs> uh, how do you do that event? Who would you normally go to? Where do we go next? That's where we are. But I got to tell you, folks, as a kind of a guy who's put into this position here, I believe, by the will of God, I, I know he's going to supply exactly what we needed. I've found people that have stepped up and I've introduced some of them to you. You're out there. And if you have gifts, you want to use them because that's where you'll find your joy. When you're glorifying God, what happens? You find joy. And one of the ways we glorify God is through service. Maximizing the use of of our gifts Well, let's look quickly at these five um, equipping gifts. First is the apostles. They were the original 12 disciples chosen by Jesus to lead the church. Now they are unique. They were given miraculous capacities that set them apart from really virtually anyone else. The word "apostle" meant someone sent with authority. Like an ambassador or official representative. Their apostolic gifts were intended to authenticate the messenger and his message. Then he mentions the uh, work of prophets. These prophets are certainly wonderful. Gifts to the church as well. The prophets are those who spoke with the full weight of God's authority. So that they could say and or write, thus saith the Lord. They not only foretold the future, foretold of coming events but also were foretellers or proclaimers of the gospel. They spoke against evil in their day. They spoke against the evil in their culture, many times at the risk of their own lives. There were Old Testament and New Testament prophets that are mentioned. And you say, are there prophets today? I would say, I will qualify that. Prophets today are basically those who proclaim the gospel, calling people to repentance. There's evangelists. They're preachers of the gospel to unbelievers in the power of the Holy Spirit to the lost. Now, even though evangelism is the work and responsibility of all Christians... These evangelists, these people with the gift of evangelism, are used especially and effectively in seeing people come to Christ, come to repentance. Then there are pastors. Somewhat familiar with that? It's another name for shepherd. What do shepherds do? They lead, they tend, they feed. And they protect Christ's flock. Especially against sheep that bite each other. And against a wolf who comes into the fellowship disguised as a lamb. These pastors are sometimes also referred to as elders. But they must meet the character qualifications as are spelled out in the scripture. And particularly in the book of Timothy and Titus. They are to equip the church. Mend. Restore. Supply. What is needed in the church. By the preaching. The full counsel of the scriptures. To make disciples. And to train disciple makers. Um, just being as straightforward as I can. There's no way that one pastor can Counsel individually, as many people here in this church. He shouldn't try. But when you come up here, this is where God desires for counseling predominantly to be done, is through God's Word. Yes, there's still a place for personal, individual counseling. We'll talk more about that maybe later here. But what I'm saying is, this is the time, this is when the Word of God works its work by the Holy Spirit, to change, to transform. That's why this needs to be such a, uh, a sacred thing to do. I tremble when I walk up here. You go, well, after that many years, you still tremble? It's because I've done it so many years that I tremble. What a privilege, but what a responsibility. What a responsibility. But the only thing really gives me confidence as I stand before you is I can say in these cases, uh, Thus saith the Lord in Ephesians 4. It's not, Don says. Hopefully, I can say and point to you, this is from the scriptures. And then there are teachers that he's given, there are also equippers, these are students and instructors of the Bible. They are able to understand, explain a biblical text, instruct others in uh, essential biblical doctrine, and make God's word relevant and applicable for all ages. We need teachers for adults, community Bible studies, for children, for youth. Now it's interesting, do you have equipping gifts of leaders, to equip the church to do the work of ministry? and there are gifts that he gives to the members of the body to implement that, to use what they've been equipped with to go out and to serve the church. In Ephesians 4 again, he said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the people, the members of the body for the work of ministry. Now, we're going to hit some of these gifts, and I'll do them rather quickly. In Romans 12, 4 through 8, we find a list of gifts, and I refer to them as gifts of grace. That's how they are mentioned. They're graces to us. And with each exhortation, or with each gift, there's an exhortation. The first is the gift of prophecy. We looked at that previously. Those who have the gift of uh, proclaiming, they are to do it faithfully. They are to do it with faith. Proclaim the word of God. Then there is the gift of service. And if you have the gift of service, serve as to serve Christ serve as doing it unto him. The people who have the gift of service, they find their joy and their life purpose by doing whatever is needed to assist others in very routine, practical ways. They don't mind who gets the credit as long as the work is done. And their service may seem to themselves or maybe, hopefully not, to others as unimportant. Unimportant. But this ministry is critical. It's essential. Everyone in the church benefits from those who serve Christ with this gift. And there's a gift of teaching, which mentioned again. If you teach, teach. If you teach, teach the word of God. The full counsel of God. More to say in a few minutes. There's a gift called exhortation. And if you have the gift of exhortation, exhort. (laughs) Come alongside others to encourage them. These are gifted people who come alongside others in word and in deed or action to bring them comfort, consolation, and counsel. We need exhorters here. Often they have personal and practical life-changing experiences that bring hope and encouragement to others. They have a testimony that encourages other people. They've been there, done it. Then there are those with the gift of giving. If you have the gift of giving, keep giving joyfully and generously as unto the Lord. Now, even though Christians are called to give regularly to the Lord and His church, those with this gift are sensitive and they are burdened to give as the Spirit leads them to meet special and individual needs. They are burdened to give to a specific thing or a person. Many with this gift are not necessarily rich. Because I say the gift of giving somebody say, "Well, that leaves me out." No, it doesn't. Those with this gift don't have to be rich. They have to be led. That's how the Spirit works. He intentionally leads them to give whatever they can to somebody who has a specific need. They give intentionally, they cheerfully and sacrificially. They first give of themselves and then give whatever they have as stewards, managers of God's resources. Then there is leadership. You say, well, I thought we already covered that in the equippers. Well, stay with me a second. Leadership gift. If you have leadership gift, lead. Leading Christ's flock by example. Now when we talk about leadership, leadership are people who are spirit-driven, spirit-gifted, vision-driven, vision-casters, goal-setters, administrators, delegators. They are to care for those in the church and lead them into a deeper relationship with Christ. As they serve one another. You don't have to be an elder to have the gift of leadership. Then there are those with the gift of mercy. They are people who are kind. Who are cheerful and empathetic to others. Now all of us are called to be merciful. But those with this gifts have this unique sensitivity and empathy for the feelings and needs of others. Little side note for me, as an elder, I would encourage the other elders, when you make this decision, men, before we, we may finalize it, go talk to your wife. <laughs> talk to the women's ministry. Why do I say that? Because many of the women are merciful when we're task-driven. And that's why we need to use the gifts that God has given to the church. I've been a part of an elder board that they... Um, I had retired but was still part of the church. And they had an elder board that made a decision, we're changing the worship times. And we're changing all of the... We had Sunday school first and second hour. And they, they they just wanted to change all the times and do everything. And they said, what do you think about it? Pastor John, I said, well, I'm no longer an elder or pastor or senior pastor. Well, what do you think? I said, did you run this by the women's ministry? Did you run it by the Sunday school teachers? No, 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 no. No, we... This is our thing. This is what we think we need to do. I said, have you considered... A possibility that it may change the way families come to church and who sits in the pews and who sits in the cry room and who's watching the children. Have you ever thought, no? Well, we need to do this. And I okay. Well, <laughs> when they actually implemented this, wow, I had people coming to me and say, Pastor Don, why did they change that? And I go, No, I think you should go talk to them, talk to the elders. They did, and the elders go, Oh. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that would. I didn't know that would affect Sunday school teachers like this. I didn't know it would affect people who come with children to church. They changed. <laughs> they went back to the old schedule. Now the reason I bring up this sort of a lengthy little side bit is that there are different gifts for different reasons, for different occasions. So the body needs to look to each other. How do we help each other in the decision-making process? So be merciful. (laughs) Let's look for those who have mercy before you make major decisions that affect the church. i got to move on. Gifts are given for the common good. They're mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. He mentions the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is making biblical knowledge relevant and practical. Often it's accompanied with the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is to discover, to accumulate, analyze, and systemize biblical insight. If those things go together, the person with knowledge is able to make it so relevant and practical. There are some people who have gift of knowledge and they've written books. And we're grateful for that. The word of wisdom says, I read your book and here's how you use it. <laughs> we're grateful for wisdom and knowledge. And then we learn about faith. You see, gift, faith is a gift. Well, there is the gift of faith in salvation. But there is also the gift of faith. Which is to see from the scriptures the possibility of doing great things for the glory of God. Every church needs people with this gift. So that when you come up against an obstacle, you come against a challenge for the church, the person with faith steps forward and goes, you know, we can trust God for this. I believe it. I'll be a part of that. I'll do what I can. This is not impossible for the Lord. They're realists. But they also have that sense of, of of moving on, moving beyond. Then there are those with the gift of helps. I don't know if you ever realized that helping can be a gift. It is the give of your time, your skills, to increase the effectiveness of the church's ministries in practical ways. This person with the gift of helps can come to other people or be a part of a committee, part of a project, and they can make the difference and make ministries work. Able to assist, help other people to accomplish the vision, the ministries of the church. Then there is the gift of administrations, which means to mobilize and organize the ministries of the church for the common good. Now, They utilize, they superintend others so that the goals and ministries of the church are properly coordinated. This gift is often, hopefully someone in the elders, hopefully the pastor has some gift of leadership and administration. But this gift is also found in people who are not leaders. They are assigned by the leaders to carry out the decisions and the ministries of the elders. They can organize the process, find the resources necessary to carry out the ministry of the church. They know how to delegate the tasks that are before them and oversee the completion of them. May their tribe increase. Paul also describes another category of sign gifts. Here's that category that seems to just dominate the front page. Everybody wants he's talk about spiritual gifts. Oh, are you talking about healing miracles, uh, tongues, and so forth? This needs to be put in its proper place. Sign gifts. Sign gifts are given to authenticate the messenger and his message. These gifts were once given, as we mentioned before, to the original apostles in the first century, and I'm going to be on record to say, and are no longer given to individuals, but to the church. Let me explain. Let me say this, if you say, so Pastor John, are you saying no more miracles, no more healing? I didn't say that. God has ordained that his church will do the work through the prayers of the people so that no one person gets the glory. <laughs> so when I watch people talk about their their gift on TV and they display themselves, it is... It is so out of character with the, the, what the gift was intended to do. What were the gifts intended to do? Glorify Christ. Not how I can knock a person over. Not how I can feel their aura around them. I, enough said. I'm here on short term, so I guess I can say these things for a little bit, and then we'll see what you want to do with them later. Let's look at the gift of healing. The gift of healing now, I believe, is no longer entrusted to one gift person. But it's given to the elders and the church through the prayers of the saints. Prove it, Pastor Don. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs and come Wednesday night. Is anyone among you sick? Let him dial up a TV program. No let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Do you notice the shift? What was in one man or the original 12 has now been given to us so that no one person tries to be a glory robber. If you're sick, call the elders. Get it out on the prayer chain. Let's go to work. By the way, I must add, in the Lord's good providence, he can also bring healing through the means and abilities of doctors and medicine. But you still pray. Then there are miracles. Miracles. What are miracles? It's a suspension of God's common grace in providence to display supernatural power for his glory and the good of his church through the prayers of the saints. Can God still work a miracle today? And the answer is yes, he can. But you don't find a miracle worker walking around. And if you find one of those, please let us know you are the first person to be hired on the church staff. We need miracles. We need healings. But God is working now through the church. Then there are the discerner of spirits. These are people gifted to protect the church from the invasion of false teachings and prophets who come to deceive believers. They can identify, sniff out the work of Satan and demonic spirits who mask themselves as believers, but are in reality spiritual impostors. They can detect a false witness from a true witness of God. Now, then there's various tongues. They were given in the book of Acts to communicate the gospel in earthly languages, earthly languages. This was not a normative experience for all believers. Nor was it to be equated with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you came to faith, born again, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Rather, tongues were given... In the early church, to spread the gospel where it had not been proclaimed before. Tongues were to be done orderly, not in confusion, and not for personal edification. Therefore, there was a fifth sign gift, and notice how they fit together. It's the interpretation of tongues. That was necessary with a gift, similar to that gift, necessary so that all who heard the gospel in another earthly language could understand. It's like when they go to China. I'm preaching, but what happens? I have an interpreter. Interpreter of English for the Mandarin speakers. Something similar to that. Matter of fact, where tongues were mentioned, it required that there be somebody with the gift of interpretation. Why? Because it was not a show. It was for proclaiming the gospel. Okay. Enough said. Now this is where we drive home the point. Spiritual gifts. I am urging you to prayerfully consider what your gift is. First, know how the different gifts mentioned in the Bible functioned. Know what they are and know how they functioned. Secondly, keep praying to discover your gifts. Evaluate your personal strengths and your weaknesses because many times your gift will flow around your strengths and keep you from places where you are weak. Serve in several ministries in the church. If you say, I don't know if I have the gift of teaching," Um, volunteer to work in the Sunday school <laughs> uh, as a helper to start with. Take a, a minor role. Watch, observe, do what you can do. You may find that the gift will arise within you when you see the need to see the children. Or there's a Bible study that needs to be led. Ask others what gifts they see in you. It's really fascinating. Sometimes you can't see it or determine it, but others get. oh, it's clear. And consider what burdens you and brings you joy in Christ's church. You see, this is one of the wonderful things about spiritual gifts and and just uh, spiritual gifts is this, is that they're intended for joy. We have a God who's committed to joy. Committed to our joy. And gifts were given to find your joy. Now we're going to read this and then I'm going to summarize very quickly here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? To do what? For the building up the body of Christ. We talked about that. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. I'm going to do this quickly. I've identified in this text what I call five marks of a well-equipped church. The first is it has one common faith that binds us together. Doctrine should unite us, and in some cases, it should divide us from the apostate church. I believe that healthy, growing churches should adopt this conviction. Here it is, it's not mine, it comes from early church history. In essentials. Unity. In non essentials, charity. And in all things, Jesus Christ. That should identify us. Some of the places that I travel to, I go to Pentecostal churches. I've had people, why would you ever go there? Do you believe in the uh, in tongues? I get no. That isn't you. Don't get it. They ask me to come and preach and teach the gospel. Of course I will. Many of them are wonderful brothers and sisters, and I've told them straight out on essentials unity. Can we be agreeing on the essentials? And I listed the essentials. They will sure. On non-essentials, we're going to differ. But in everything, I'm here, we're here together for Christ. In all things, it's about him, not us. Secondly, a healthy, equipped church is growing in the knowledge of Christ. Here's what I mean by knowledge. It's not just what you know about him, but is how you relate to him. Intimately, personally. The church is growing in its relationship with Christ. The church that is healthy and growing, in my opinion, emphasizes spiritual growth with the hope or the plan of numerical growth. Here's what I mean by that. When you plan to grow at the expense of spiritual maturity, the church becomes Like a uh, weightlifter who worked only on his upper body, his arms especially, so he could show them off, does nothing with his legs. So when he struts across the gym, his legs are like this, but he's looking really good. That's not the church. The church is to work on all the body, all the members of the body are to grow. So we should be thinking about how to equip each other, how to encourage each other. It's about us being a body, being a family, being a vine, being a holy temple. We all fit. We want a place for everyone who is a believer in Christ to find their place here. A healthy church... Trains children, adults in essential biblical doctrine until they can articulate the faith and refute unsound doctrine. My friends, if, if you don't get anything else, try to grab this, especially if you're a leader or you have children. We cannot afford to be teaching our children in Sunday school about how to be a man like Abraham. How to be a man like Daniel. <laughs> Good stories, and we should teach them. But the kids, the youth, they need to know what they believe and why they believe it. Because the story of Daniel, as great as it is, is not going to cut it when they go to the university. I've had doctors call me, who are students, saying, Pastor John, what do we do? They're ridiculing the Bible and how we got, what do I say? How did we get the Bible? I don't even know what to say. How did we get it? I'm going, how did you get there through our church and didn't get it? And I found out why. We didn't teach them. The church here needs, has a systematic curriculum, but it needs to insert along the way biblical doctrine, essential biblical doctrine that they could defend and they could articulate when they graduate. When they move into the universities and go out into the world, we're not equipping them as we need to be. Finally, a healthy church cares for one another while as well, caring for the community. This may sound strange, but people don't care how much this church knows. They don't. You know what they care about? They want to know how much you care. If you care, they may be willing to listen. Until we care, they don't care about what you know. So when the saints stop growing, they become stagnant, they shrink, and they begin to fill that void in their life by equating more biblical facts and knowledge In their mind rather than having an intimate knowledge of Christ in their heart. If you're living off of old, stale Christian experience rather than a fresh, growing knowledge of Christ today, the church will not be healthy and it will not grow. A healthy church places, and keeps Christ at the center of worship, preaching, teaching, and fellowship. And this is my exhortation to you all. We need your help. I'm just simply saying it. We need your help. We need your prayers. I believe in the church. I believe in this church. I believe in those who have been leading. and We've gone through a very, very difficult time and we're ready to move on. But to move on, we need the gifts. We need people to stand up, step forward and go, you know, could you use me to do this? Can I help here? God has got all we need right here. It sounds funny, but that's true. Whatever is needed is right here. We're an answer to our own prayer. And I'm calling upon you to consider that. Pray about that. Peter admonishes the church. Let us, and I add the for emphasis, keep. Let us keep growing in the grace of God and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. If you're not growing, you're weak. Vulnerable. Commit yourself today to grow in Christ. I don't know what that's going to be for you. Maybe to serve. Maybe to be in a community group. Maybe be part of our fellowship Fridays. Meals together. I, I don't know what form it's going to take. But find a way to express your gifts. That's what we need. And that's when you will find and discover your joy. I believe the Lord has a future for this church. I'm asking you to share that vision with me. And many others as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time together this morning. Your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we thank you for giving to us the amazing gift of your Spirit. We thank you for your Spirit who has given us some amazing gifts as well. May you um, mobilize, may you empower these gifts to come alive, to be manifested amongst us for your glory that we might bear much good fruit. Thank you again for those who have faithfully served here at the church over the years and are faithfully serving even now. Bless them, encourage them. May you give us a joy. Lord, we need that joy even now. Joy in serving, joy in believing in Christ, joy in the midst of difficulties. Lord, we want and desire for you to be glorified above everything else. Bless the day ahead of us. Bless the people. Bless the families that are represented here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.